Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Some women know immediately when they're pregnant. Some find out a few weeks in, and some not until the baby actually arrives. But for most who find out early, they're told it's best not to share the news with friends and loved ones until after the 12-week milestone. But is that helping or hindering women whose pregnancies may not make it past that mark? And why do we have a three-month waiting zone in the first place? The first trimester for a lot of us is hell. It's actual hell. It's the worst time. It's the most difficult, I find, where you're tired, you're vomiting, you feel awful, you're not really showing yet. It's the time you need the most support and it's the time that it's the hardest. So why would we make it harder on ourselves by not having that support and love around us? Today, we look at the 12-week theory, where it comes from, why it's there, and whether we still need to stick to it. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. When we first met Stephanie back in January, she was facing a dilemma. We didn't know back then if pregnant women here in Australia would be allowed to get the COVID vaccine. So she was trying to figure out whether she needed to wait to conceive so she could see her ageing parents who were overseas or miss the opportunity to have another child. I'd never forgive myself for not going back. I'm just sat here thinking, just please get me on a plane so I can go home and see everyone. I miss them so much. But then again, I just don't want to wait too long and then not be able to conceive or have other issues. But with the news that it could be up to a year until we know if the vaccine is safe for unborn babies or not, Steph made up her mind. So I decided that the vaccine rollout was going pretty slow and I could make a human in the meantime. Give birth, breastfeed, do it all, and then hopefully get my vaccine and I'd be sorted. The thing is, Steph's telling us this exciting news before the 12-week mark, the societal norm that tells us that women are supposed to keep the news quiet until they pass the three-month safety zone. I've been thinking about this a lot, to be honest with you, and a lot of people don't want to share that they're pregnant in the first trimester. It's quite taboo. I'm just wondering if this is a little bit old school and why it's it's like this. You know, I ask people, why wouldn't you say it? And they say, oh, well, because, you know, that you've got those risks of losing it. And then that just, you know, makes me question, well, aren't we trying to raise awareness about miscarriage as well? Isn't it something normal? Isn't it something that happens in one in four women? Up until very recently, there wasn't a surefire way to know if a woman was pregnant in the first few weeks. 
other than missed periods and possible morning sickness. Physicians have been testing different methods from as early as 1350 BC, when ancient Egyptians describe a test where a woman urinates on wheat and barley seeds. Depending on which one grows determines the sex of the child, but if neither grow, she isn't pregnant. If that sounds a bit woo-woo, scientists tested the theory in 1963 and found that 70% of the time, the urine of a pregnant woman promoted the growth of the seeds. By the 1890s, physicians began to better understand the chemicals in our bodies, putting a name to something we all now know as hormones. In 1903, Ludwig Frankl identified progesterone, the hormone that promotes gestation, And by the 1920s, scientists in several locations across Europe had isolated hormones, including chorionic gonadotropin, a hormone only found in pregnant women. Now, how to test for it. The AZ test was invented in Germany. They would inject the urine of a pregnant woman into rats or mice. If the rodent went into heat, the woman was pregnant. This was a very expensive and not always accurate way to test for pregnancy, especially inaccurate for those in the early stages. In the 1960s, a 26-year-old freelance designer by the name of Margaret Crane was hired to work on a new cosmetics line. She was touring her new company's lab in Oregon when she saw a line of test tubes suspended over a mirror. The tubes contained reagents that, when combined with a pregnant woman's urine, would clump together to form a red ring at the bottom of the tube. Inspiration struck Miss Crane, who thought, why couldn't a woman do that herself at home? She went home and made the first ever functional at-home pregnancy test kit, using a paperclip holder, a mirror, a test tube and a dropper. The company she worked for patented the test in her name in 1969 and it hit the shelves for consumers in the 1970s. While not as accurate as the tests we use today, those at-home kits enabled women to know for sure they were pregnant much earlier than they could previously, and then they could share the news with friends and family. But at some stage, doctors started to advise women not to share the news until after the 12-week mark, the time at which the pregnancy is considered safe, the time they would go for their 12-week scan to hear the baby's heartbeat. Stephanie says she understands why people keep the news quiet till then, but says for her, it just didn't make sense. I've asked people, why don't you say it? And they say, oh, because I might lose it. I'm like, are you worried you're jinxing it? Is it some sort of old school, I don't know, I'm Greek, we talk about the bad eye. Is it some sort of bad eye, sort of weird, superstitious? Is it that it's no one else's business? I don't, I've... I think it's the losing it thing. I think it's the you don't want to jinx something, you're holding on to it, and you just want to be in the safe zone. I can kind of understand that. That's the reason why I'm not like screaming it from the rooftops and want to announce it to the whole world. But I really do want that support from work. I was vomiting in the bathroom at work and the office manager was holding my hair back and, you know, bringing me water and was like, go home, have a rest. That support in the first trimester is priceless. So when did we start telling women to keep their pregnancy under wraps for three months? Is there a scientific reason behind it, or is it more of a psychological one? The protection of the woman who may have to tell, and then untell those around her. Dr Vicky Woodward is an obstetrician at Melbourne's Royal Women's Hospital. Doctor, do we know when women started to be told it's best not to share their pregnancy news pre-12 weeks, or has that always been a thing? 
I think it's always been a thing. I think things have changed over time in how early women have come to know that they're pregnant has changed. So, you know, with the advent of IVF and better urine pregnancy tests, so women are now finding out earlier, whereas before they probably just didn't know until they were close to the 12-week mark. And also with screening for Down syndrome in the early part of pregnancy, where it used to be in the middle part of pregnancy, I think that's also changed the way women think about sharing news as well. So I don't know when it actually started and I don't know whether it's been, you know, something that wasn't done and now it is done, but certainly most women now and women are sort of advised by their girlfriends really don't tell anybody till you get to 12 weeks. So it seems to be a bit more prominent now that people don't go around telling people till the 12 weeks or so. So it's more of a societal limit rather than one that doctors advise people? Absolutely. So I often get asked it, when should I tell people? And it's a really difficult question to answer because it's really different for different people. So for some people, you know, if you're horrendously sick in that first part of the pregnancy or if you're really tired and you've got a toddler at home, actually maybe telling people who you're really close to is not such a bad idea because having some support is really helpful in those times. But then, you know, the flip side of that is if you are waiting for test results to come through that might change what you want to do with your pregnancy maybe not sharing that with everybody in the world is important too. So I usually have a conversation with people about, you know, it's not black and white. It's not tell people or not tell people. You might choose to tell people that are really close to you that if something terrible was to happen to your pregnancy in those first couple of months, they would be the people that you'd want to lean on anyway and get some help from. So perhaps don't put it on Facebook until (laughs) until you know all's good, Um, which is really once you clear that 12 to 14-week mark. Well, let's talk about this 12 to 14 week mark. What is it scientifically that leads us to three months? What is it about that first trimester that we need to kind of clear that hurdle before we get into the safe zone? So there's two things. So one is the risk of miscarriage. So the risk of miscarriage is probably highest around the seven to 10 week mark, and it sort of gets less and less. And certainly by the 12 to 14 week mark, the risk of miscarriage is very, very low. So, you know, it could be as high as 20% of all pregnancies in the very early part of pregnancy. And by the time you get to 12 weeks, you're looking at less than 5% are going to have a negative outcome. So, we, we can say to women that if you've made it to 12 weeks, the chances of a miscarriage are really, really tiny and you're pretty safe to tell people from a knowing that that pregnancy is going to stick point of view. So, that's one thing. The other thing is that women nowadays are, not all women, but many women are choosing to have Down syndrome screening at about that 10-week mark or 10 and 12-week mark. And so they'll get their results when they're about 12 weeks pregnant. So that sort of ultrasound typically occurs around 12 to 13 weeks. And obviously, if you have Down syndrome screening and it comes back with a result that you weren't expecting, it comes back high risk, then that couple is having to make some really difficult decisions about what they choose to do going forward with that pregnancy. So do you then go on and have further testing? And then if that further testing shows that the baby has Down syndrome or any other chromosomal problem, what decisions would you like to make about that pregnancy? And obviously that's a whole different conversation, but that's a you know really personal decision for that couple and a really difficult time for that couple to make those decisions. So many couples prefer to do that with very little people knowing that they're pregnant or you know, give themselves the space for the possibility that that result might not be a good one so that they're making that decision without any pressure of knowing that anybody else is looking over their shoulder sort of thing. Vicky, do you think it would help the discussion around miscarriage if 
we here in society stopped telling women to stop sharing their news pre-12 weeks? I mean, obviously you choose to share or not to share, but to not tell those women who choose to share that they're doing something wrong, do you think it would be a better a better option for women to just talk about it and have miscarriage out in the open? Absolutely. So it's a common conversation I have with my patients. So I openly tell all my patients I've had a miscarriage. I mean, I never tell someone to do what they're not comfortable doing. So obviously we all deal with loss in our own way. You know, it's a pretty crappy time when you go through it. So whatever works for that woman, you know, that's the priority. Whatever's going to help you get through a really awful time. But likewise, you know, miscarriage is really common. It's really common. And it's this terrible sort of hush falls in the room when you mention it, which is really quite silly actually, because, you know, I often say to my patients, I bet you if you tell someone that you've had a miscarriage, one of your girlfriends will pipe up and say, I've had one too. And you will never have known. And, you know, you as the friend will say, why didn't you tell me? I wanted to help you. I would have helped you. And so I think there is something to what you're saying that if we are as women able to talk about, well, actually, I went through that too, and it's a lousy time, and this is how it feels, and you will live to fight another day, I promise. It kind of makes us all aware, not normalised, it's probably not the right phrase, but makes us all aware that, you know, you do live to fight another day, and you do get back up on your feet, but it is miserable at the time, and it just helps us all to know that you'll get through it, I think. To tell or not to tell when it comes to pregnancy is a very individual choice. There are many factors to consider. The trauma of previous lost pregnancies, multiple rounds of IVF, whether successful or not, and other health-related issues. And really, if you don't want to share, there's no reason you should have to. But that should also extend to those who want to share, who want to let others in on their little bundle without the reaction they get when people find out it hasn't been 12 weeks yet, to be met with joy and not a hushed, shouldn't you be keeping it a secret at the moment? Steph says she's only able to describe her experience with telling some people pre-12 weeks, but says she is very glad she did so. So don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be doing some sort of big Facebook, Instagram announcement or anything. That's not really what I mean by telling people. I mean more people in your daily life. So it's my boss, my office manager, the colleagues I work with, my friends, my family, people who are close to me who are in my daily life. And I've just seen so many benefits from telling people. So at seven weeks, I had a threatened miscarriage. It only lasted a few days. There was bleeding and clots and I was in emergency. It was an awful time. And I had already told my boss. The fact that he knew and the office manager knew and my colleagues knew was so great. They were so supportive. They just said, take some rest, do whatever you need to do. Your deadlines are covered. And it just made me relax and really be able to take that rest and bed rest that I needed to get back on my feet until the bleeding stopped. And my friends who knew the love and support, I got all these texts. One of my friends made me a little care package. She dropped it off at my house with food for my toddler and she cooked me soups. It was just all that love pouring in. And it actually was quite interesting that I felt so alienated when the miscarriage in my mind was happening and I was told to just go home and miscarry after bleeding in emergency, that the friends that did know, most of them said, that happened to me. And I just didn't feel so alienated and I was blaming myself. Oh, it's because I did this or I went too hard in the gym or it's my fault, I'm bleeding, it's my fault. And my friends who knew my inner circle, they were like, no, I had a miscarriage at seven weeks. It's common. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. 
And if there's a news story you'd like us to look into in a little more depth, please shoot us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au, or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.